0: You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Maddo Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Today's episode is a special one. Hello, yoga teacher, today's guest, Michelle Ashley, otherwise known as Mish was on the very first episode of the yoga teacher resource podcast on that episode. She interviewed me. She asked me all about my history and my motivation for starting the podcast. So if you'd like to hear that, go back and listen to episode number one. And today I'm so honored to bring her on as the guest expert in her area of expertise which is equity and inclusion within the yoga space. As much as I love and appreciate all the guests who take the time to share their knowledge and wisdom on the podcast, it is extra special to me when I get to welcome the people nearest and dearest to my heart. I don't know if you can tell a difference, but for me, when I get to interview my friends, there's like all of these layers of guarding and feeling each other out that, we've already gone through. And so we can really dive to the heart of the matter right from the get-go. And then it also just feels good to get to connect with my friends and to get to promote them and share their work. So because Misha and I do talk quite a bit about how we met and what our relationship looks like, I'm not going to do too much of that in this intro. I want to just jump right into this essential, important, and uplifting conversation about creating equitable spaces for Black and Indigenous people of color in the yoga world. Mish, it is such a pleasure, such a joy to have you back on the podcast. A full circle moment as you interviewed me for the very first episode. So this is just so fun.
1: I know. I can't believe it. It feels like it was just like last month or maybe three months ago two years I know. two more two than two year. years, i know gosh has it really been two years
0: yeah i
1: know i am really thrilled i'm really excited this this it's been a joy to watch how this platform the podcast and all of the gems tools and wisdom that it has provided yoga teachers to watch it grow from that very first podcast has been amazing thank you so much for all you do
0: and it feels so awesome to get to have you on as an expert now <laughs> and to tap into some of your wisdom which i know you have a lot of you've you went through teacher training with me and some people arrive at teacher training you know with less life experience and some arrive at teacher training with more life experience so somebody who just graduated from teacher training there's there's still quite a wide variety of wisdom mm-hmm. that that comes out, right? Right. So, right. definitely you and I connected during teacher training.
1: Absolutely. And
0: recognize yes. some kindred, yes. kindredness. Kindredness. <laughs> to all those things. I saw you and I heard
1: all the wisdom coming out of you, and I thought, that is going to be my teacher after this training. I am going to be stuck to her like glue. And it's been wonderful learning from you, not just as a yoga teacher, but just as a human being. So this makes this even extra special to be able to talk and have a chat.
0: Yeah, and I do feel like the best relationships, the best student-teacher relationships are still mutual where we're learning from each other, really. Agreed,
1: yes. And I will say that that has been something that I love about our friendship is that I've you've never made me feel, even in teacher training, when I absolutely knew nothing really about yoga, there was always this level of respect in terms of uh, you're a human having your own experience as well. Maybe there's a few things I know more than you in yoga, but we can still learn from each other. So I really appreciated that, how you showed up for me in yoga teacher training, and even through our friendship, you are always my go-to girl. You know me. I will always pick up the phone and call you and be like, but I need help with this anatomy or a sequencing thing. What do you think? So it feels really good. And um, I will say though, even after yoga teacher training, I feel like I'm still a student, which I should hope all <laughs> yoga teachers feel that way. <laughs> yeah.
0: Forever. Yeah, for sure. And you have been doing a lot of work in the space of equity and inclusion and helping people of people who are underrepresented in the yoga space yes feel safe
1: yes yes it's um you know I think back to that day when um we were going through it was yoga teacher training and we were going through just a typical flow you know I, I think it was just like vinyasa A or something. Real simple, right? And I thought I was going to die <laughs> because I could barely get through it. And I think back to that version of myself, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And if someone would have said to me that I would have successfully completed yoga teacher training and then gone on to hold brave space to then have these dialogues around inclusiveness and equity... Within the wellness field, which our wheelhouse is yoga, I did not see that coming. <laughs> that was that it, that was not what I went to school for and stuff. It just it, it it presented itself and it was a fit, and I blinked, and two years have rolled by, a little over two years. Yeah, it's been quite a journey.
0: It's such a beautiful thing that is happening in the yoga space, where people are going from really sort of having their blinders on and focusing on their own experience to Understanding wow, my experience is not the same as everyone else's and if I really want to live my yoga and I want to act skillfully from the philosophies and the intentions of the yoga practice I need to understand other people's experience and I need to understand how my behavior impacts them. Yes.
1: Um, you know, it's really interesting because, well, first to unpack a little because I can't assume that your audience has grown so much. So what a lot of people don't know is that I reside in Asheville, North Carolina. I am not a Southern belle. So for starters, I'm, I'm the child of immigrants who migrated here from Panama, from Central America, and I grew up on the dirt and grime of New York City. So it didn't really even dawn on me that this was a thing to have a conversation about because I had become so used to just seeing diversity and culture. And I mean, New York is just a melting pot, so there's no need to kind of go into detail about that. And then once I finished um, yoga teacher training, I was that girl, right? So I'm a black Latina and I was that girl who would walk in and I would just take up space. Like it never even dawned on me to even feel uncomfortable or anything like that. And so it was a learning curve for me as well to be able to learn as a teacher when I'm in front of the room to take into consideration the different body shapes, and the different levels of ability. And so I was aware of that. And then I think it was probably uh, maybe even six months into teaching that something felt off for me. And and what I realized was I wanted so much to share this practice with people who literally looked like me, Black, Brown, Indigenous, but they weren't coming into the studio. And I was just like, what's going on? Like, why not? And then, and so that is how the snowball started to formulate. And And as I started to have conversations with just friends in my community and then different yoga studio owners, I started to realize that there was a disconnect. <laughs> and that's when we started to go down the rabbit hole and have these conversations about equity and so much of What equity really is about is about being in right relationship with one another. So when I think of two people who are meeting for the first time that are coming with their own set of, for a lack of a better phrase, so this is not to minimize any lived experience, but we all have our baggage and how that baggage tends to sit within us. We feel it in our bodies and thank God for yoga because we have the tools to be able to heal our bodies, to support our bodies, to nurture our bodies. So then we can show up the best version of ourselves, okay? But we all have different levels of trauma. We all have different lived experiences. And I had to learn very quickly, how do I create a space where people of different racial backgrounds, different lived experience and different physical abilities um, are wanting to access this but are not walking through the door. So that learning curve meant this was deeper than just learning how to sequence. This was more than just learning how to assist without hands off, as you know, no hands-on assisting. How do I how do I cue my student to adjust her body or his body in a way so that she can really honor this pose, go deeper in this pose? This was before that student even walked in the door. So there were quite a very there were quite a lot of interesting conversations around around that, and I learned I learned a lot more than I bargained for, but I can honestly say it's made me a better teacher.
0: So that's really interesting to hear you say, to hear you describe your experience of being a yoga teacher in a body of color who had that moment of recognizing that even just you being black wasn't enough to make people feel safe to walk into the studio.
1: Oh yeah. And and I think that's what broke my heart just a little bit. And it definitely came as a very kind of like, duh, surprise to yoga studio owners. And so that is when I realized that my training, I, I was gonna get very innovative with my training. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't enough for me to just have gone through yoga teacher training. And it wasn't enough for me, just the continuing education courses that I had begun to do. I needed to now get training based on what my community needed. And that stepped me into the realm of getting a racial equity training. Now, I'm going to be very, very transparent about this. The reason why that was important is because I was aware of racial inequities, of course. I'm a, I'm a cinnamon brown girl walking through a world, so I've had my fair share of racial slurs or microaggressions in the workplace. But I wasn't even that very well educated about the disparities that exist in our countries based on race. So when I went through a racial equity training, like my brain exploded. <laughs> I was just like, oh my goodness, uh, this now makes sense. Why it wasn't enough. For me to just be the representative woman of color in an all-white studio, that just did not mean automatically black and brown people and indigenous people were going to all of a sudden take up yoga. So I started to examine the relationship I had with my community one-on-one, the relationships studios had with the community. And that started to inform how I showed up, how I would show up to teach my class, how I would show up Moving through the community because I wanted to really make sure that if I was going to teach in a studio That this was going to be a studio that was committed to making sure that it was accessible Not just financially because I do think oftentimes when people think of racial inequities the first thing that studios think of is oh Let's do a donation based or let's do pay what you can and that's not always um That's not always the straw that breaks the camel's back. It goes down to, you know, when I walk into a studio, do I even see staff that look like me? If I don't see staff that looks like me, then the people who are behind the counter and who may be teaching these classes, do they have a racial equity lens? Are they aware of certain languaging and stereotypes that are extremely offensive to me and my people? And that won't make me want to come back to class. You know, do they embody yoga? And so what was really beautiful was the journey that I took brought me straight back to my mat. And I realized more than ever that being a yoga teacher had nothing to do with sequencing. It it really didn't. It really was about the eight limbs of yoga and how was I embodying those eight limbs in my life? Where was the self-examination? Where was the commitment to working through my own trauma that was living in my body through my asanas. And where was the support for all that trauma that would come up for me, able to be able to sit in that discomfort through meditation. I mean, I'm not gonna go through the whole eight limbs, but I went back to my notes from teacher training and I realized that we live in a world that has been definitely capitalized on yoga. But it's not all yoga teachers and yoga studios that are actually teaching and living and embodying yoga. Because if we were, we really wouldn't have so much of these issues that a lot of the teachers in our studios are now finding themselves in. And that right there told me where my path was as a yoga teacher. And now as a racial equity education within the wellness field. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I showed up um, in a space and a place in time where I could step up and meet that need.
0: I think hearing your story is so important and so helpful because white yoga teachers reaching out to me saying, I want to learn how to make my classes feel welcoming to people of color. How do I do that? Now, obviously that's not my area of expertise. That's something I need to get somebody else with more lived experience in that realm and more training. The reason I think it's so Im- important and helpful to hear your story with it and your journey with it is it's like a wake up call. Yeah. Hey, white yoga teachers, if you really wanna do this, it is not gonna be like a a, li- a checkbox, a list of checkboxes that you can check off and then be like, all right, I did it. Right. It's way deeper. Like, you know, it's like the iceberg. And and a lot of yoga teachers have had a big wake up where they finally saw the iceberg in front of them, but they haven't yet dipped their head below the water to see what's right. underneath that.
1: Right, and if you're anything like me, the fact that you're even in the wide ocean and there's an iceberg, that's probably enough to freak you out. So <laughs> deep breaths, deep
0: yeah. breaths. And the fact that you're asking this question Means you're in the right place like you are yes. headed in the right direction by asking the question yes and let's set some expectations here that it's unlikely that any of us will achieve our goals in this regard in our lifetime we have to we have to make a lifetime commitment to equity right. and right. learning more and more how to be welcoming and inclusive to people who are underrepresented. What I
1: love what you said is, and I had to scribble that word down was lifetime because what I normally, when I work into a workshop or series of equity educational um, sessions, because now I do it for companies, yoga studios, and um, I also recently trained with Off The Mat to be um, the facilitator for yoga in action for Asheville. And that has a lot to do with leadership with regards to social justice. So I always ask teachers, because normally yoga studios are owned by someone who was once a teacher. So we're really talking to yoga teachers. And I'm usually like, so when you went through teacher training, did you go through teacher training just to learn the poses? Was that the goal? Was the goal to become more physically fit? Was the goal really to be able to say, I do yoga? Or did we go through teacher training because we felt it was a calling? Because we had a desire and a dream to be able to share a practice with people so that they could be well, so that they would know how to feel comfortable and rooted and grounded in their bodies so they could show up for life. People who just felt awkward just moving through space We wanted them to feel liberation. And so with that comes, that's a philosophy, that's a lifestyle. And so when you said the commitment to equity within yoga studios, which let me be very transparent, my wheelhouse within equity lands squarely on racial equity because that's where my expertise and that's where my services in that realm lie. So it's not enough to have the tokenized person of color It's really about lifestyle. It's really about what do I do for someone of color, Black, indigenous, person of color, BIPOC, to feel welcome. And the first thing that I usually tell people is, well, believe it or not, the experienced person is another white person who has been doing their equity work. Because whenever we call Black people in, Black and brown people in, that's a form of labor and work. So it's not black and brown people's job to educate dear white people to figure it out. It's no, find your representation. Who's that person in your community? Who's white or white passing? Who is in the field of wellness and who's very well versed and experienced with holding space and dialoguing about equity? Because that's actually what dings a bell for black and brown people in our communities to say, okay, this is a person that I can step into brave space with because they're acknowledging that I don't know what I don't know, but I'm doing my part to, to unlearn that, to mm. do that. And oftentimes I'm amazed at how yoga studios and teachers go straight for like the big performative action. Let me donate money. Let me give a scholarship to teacher training. All of those things are wonderful. But the truth of the matter is, is that this this journey of liberation for all and racial equity, it starts with each individual person sitting down and doing their work, examining where do my biases live? We all have an implicit bias. No one on earth can say that they don't. I have an implicit bias. You know, where do discriminatory, like, thoughts or judgments lie within me? And then... How do they come out? Like, what are the actions that follow those thoughts? I would never ask someone to say, come and teach a yoga class and you've never put your body through the asana. But neither would I ask people to do the kind of equity work unless I've done my own work. I can't stand in front of people and say, okay, now let me point the finger and show you, you do your work. I need to be able to know what it is in my own body and my own lived experience, what it means to be liberated. Because what comes from that is compassion. Because without compassion and a hell of a lot of love, you will get burnt out and you will get very discouraged and frustrated because it's not it's not easy lifting. It's not. We're talking generations of stuff here where it's like the skeletons in the closet of America that no one's wanting to really talk about. And now this the closet is just busted open because there's no more space to keep stuffing things and hiding away from them. We have we have to deal with it if we're going to be in relationship with one another. And that's sort of where I've landed. I've landed in a space in my heart where I understand we are a community, we are a global community, and we're all having very different lived experiences. We are being presented an opportunity to be in deeper, right relationship with one another. And we always hear this, oh, if you want to find your soulmate and the love of your life, your twin flame, and all these other labels, what do people say? Learn to love yourself first, right? Right. So if you're wanting to know how to create space to make other people feel welcome, it's like, okay, start with kind of clearing out your own self first. And then, believe it or not, people will feel welcomed because how you speak and how you show up will be very different. You will be so much more mindful about your marketing, about the types of classes that you give, about the training that you give your teachers, because your awareness has expanded beyond your own self-serving story. And that's the point. Sounds like yoga to me. I don't know, (laughs) Mado.
0: Definitely. I have so many questions. Go for it. First, I want to highlight this invitation that you basically just issued. Whether you are white, whether you are are mixed, whatever privilege you hold, really anybody listening is invited to be that person who's safe and to make the effort to learn what it takes to be the first safe person in the space or the third, or it doesn't really matter if there are other (laughs) other people embarking on this journey with you. Great. Awesome. But you can make a difference wherever you start out and whatever you look like, you can make a difference. Yes, You're invited to learn how to be a safer person for BIPOC. Yep. Agreed. So here's what I'm really curious about. And I know this is going to vary from human to human, right? We're, we all (laughs) have different lenses and we're looking for different things, but I think you have a very unique perspective of being a black woman Mm -hmm. who was not super aware of the depth of racial inequity in the South, especially, and of opened your eyes to it and and learned to recognize it and then went out and had conscious specific conversations with people who were native here not native american but black people who grew up here basically yeah is there anything that you could point to that they're looking for as an indicator of this person is safe
1: i don't know because i don't have a crystal ball right now sitting in front of me to predict that had i stayed in the north I wouldn't have come to the same conclusion. I think living in the the Southern region of our United Divided States right now um, provided me a very unique opportunity to highlight even more what exists in the North as well, but it just simply shows up a little bit different, right? Just a little, not a whole lot. And what I will say is once I did my work to understand the systems of oppression that exist in this country, that's what made all the light bulbs go off as to like, oh, that's why certain things bother me, land differently for me. Now I understand as well why maybe groups or individuals of white people act and feel the way that they do. So when we were talking previously and I said, This is not easy lifting. This is really about pulling the curtain back from our American history to understand how the systems in place racially segregate and divide and create situations where a specific group of people benefit without, it's like a system that just goes without you even having to like feed it anything, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to start there to then understand what it would look like for safe. Right. So right there I just gave you the biggest clue. If I see dear white person who really has no lens of understanding what the inequities are within our systems of oppression in this country, you are not safe to me. Mm -hmm. Let me be clear what I mean by safe, not safe. Not safe means you're probably going to make a statement out of ignorance, out of not knowing out of not understanding. There's a reason why when I show up for a racial equity education as part of a yoga teacher training, and I'm having difficulty finding the entrance into the building, I am running late. My anxiety goes up. I'm in a part of the South that I've never traveled to before. There is nobody that looks like me. I'm aware of the history here. Now, I've just compounded all of my body signals are kind of popping off, right? For me to walk in the door, and for the woman who's in charge of the training to make the statement of, well, I don't know what the problem was, Michelle. No one else seemed to have had that problem. You just generalized my entire experience. Mm -hmm. My whole lived experience is, I'm showing up someplace I've never been before, there's no one outside to greet me to say, let me make this easy for her to come in. I'm in a predominantly white county that I don't know really any of the stories that are living there. Yeah. So I'm going into an unknown situation. My body is riddled with anxiety. Now, thank God for yoga. I have tools to regulate my body, but let's just say we had to have a conversation after that. Mm-hmm. It's the generalization that simply because your experience as a white person, I'm having the same experience, that's that's unfair. We avoid doing this work as a community of people in the global world because we're avoiding it. It's that simple. As a yoga teacher, you cannot look at me and say that you teach your yoga classes across the board the same way for everyone in the room. You Mm -hmm. make adjustments, you give variations, you cue differently based on how you notice someone is in their body. So it shouldn't be that hard to take your yoga off the mat and to even make sense of like, oh, so in other words, when I have a yoga studio and there's nothing but pictures of white fit women in, maybe I really need to think about that because who am I speaking to? And let's be clear, if that's the studio you want to create, I'm not here to tell people don't create that. What I'm saying is two things. If you're really living your yoga and you're actually really also wanting to make your space as a teacher, as a studio, inviting and inclusive, then there are things that you are gonna probably need to ask yourself. And if you don't know, I would encourage you to ask somebody of color to walk through your studio, take your class, and to give you feedback. That's something that you can do you know, as well. So that's the first thing. If someone isn't aware of what systems of oppression, what white supremacy means and how it unpacks, Mm -hmm. the chances are you're probably unintentionally causing harm. Mm -hmm. And, And again, that's not pointing a finger. I was unintentionally causing harm to myself and to other Black, Indigenous, people of color because I wasn't even fully aware of the entire comprehensive, American history that has happened in our country. We have we, we all have trauma. There's trauma that we're all generationally that's been passed
0: down to us. There's a reason for that. What I'm hearing from you is being able to hold that perspective of the systemic inequities that are still alive in our country has you showing up differently. And it's not so much exactly what you do or what you say it's more subtle than that and it's clear to people who are paying attention whether you're showing up in a space with that awareness not every nuance of of how you're showing up but that you will show up differently when you are educated about the current state and the history you're going to show up differently And you're going to hold presence differently. You're going to hold space differently, hopefully in a positive way, right? I think that there is a little transition that some people go through, especially white people, because they're the holders of the greatest privilege of feeling really conflicted and guilty. And then maybe if you show up that way, that's not so helpful. It's like you have to move through that part, right? So if you can move through that phase and then connect with humans with that awareness in the background, that it what I'm hearing from you, and I just want to make sure I'm getting this right, that you can tell.
1: You can, and you're absolutely right, Mando. It is much more subtle. And so so that we can just be concise because I'm sure there's, there's a lot of teachers like, okay, but give me an example. And I get it. I'm, I'm a visual person. So unless I see something, it's hard for me to like, I got it. Get to that point. When you understand systems of uh, systems of oppression and you understand what is meant when we say dominant culture and how it's so pervasive, I won't if I know a yoga studio owner and their staff have gone through an equity training. I will most likely not have someone try to touch my hair. I will most likely not hear someone make a statement saying, oh, I'm so surprised you do yoga so well, or you do so y- yoga so well for people like you, like these generalizations that just separate you out or even, oh yeah, I'm sure you, you can do yoga really well. Cause you know, maybe because I have a lean athletic belt. It's like all these assumptions that come out of our mouths that we say, and we don't realize it's because we've been sipping on this Kool-Aid of a white supremacy culture that says Black people don't feel pain. They're strong. You know how we always say children can always tell the truth of someone? It's like that. So I can tell the difference between someone who says, Misha, I love that outfit, or your hair looks beautiful or that looks so nice versus like, I just want to tell you, I love your hair. I do not know you white women standing in Starbucks. We're not in relationship with each other. And whenever I know that sometimes women get offended, specifically usually white women, because I don't have white men who say things like that. I usually turn around and say, so when your white friend goes to the salon and just gets a wash and set. do you compliment her? All? Do you reach out and touch her hair? So think about that. Why do people do that? Because we, ha- we, we live in a country where black people were in cages, they were exotic, they were pets, they were property. That is generational thinking and it still exists today. Chances are, if there is a yoga studio that has an equity lens and they're really leaning into b- making a space inclusive, you'll see a variety of teachers, shades, body types. You might even have different kind of classes that people can take. Not everyone connects with Sanskrit. People of color come from indigenous tribes, culturally and historically. Music is a way that connects black and brown people to get in their body. And when there's rhythms and there's beats, it opens us up in a way that other music doesn't. And usually there are some teachers who really resonate with that and some teachers who don't. It's all about building different points of connections for a group of people that have historically or just constantly feeling oppressed and marginalized. And so you've got bodies walking into your door that sometimes they're ramped up, they're full of anxiety, they're, they're tired, and they don't want to have to jump through so many hoops just to be able to exhale and breathe.
0: So I'm curious, you mentioned earlier how you changed how you were showing up in your classes. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's really helpful to have examples. So can yeah. you name a few ways that you changed your teaching after going through the equity training?
1: Right, and this is personal to me. So. I'll give examples and understand that it may not resonate for everyone. So the first thing that I started to do is I began my classes always with meditation, usually to ground myself. And then I would always um, express to my class that what they were about to experience would normally be anywhere from two to three of the eight limbs of yoga. So my languaging changed around the yoga. I also incorporated more of my ancestral. So I started to actually close classes with Ashe, open classes with Namaste. When I teach my classes, I'm also holding space to ask them to feel into their bodies and to start to examine their relationship with bias. Because our biases can even be with even our own selves. And then how does that relate out into the world? I stepped into spaces and I ask my students when they show up, who do you notice is not in the room? And why is that, right? So I'm speaking more to yoga as a lifestyle and philosophy as we're moving through asanas in order to shine a light on social justice to say, hey, think about what it took for you to get to this class today. What plans did you need to set up for your children? Or what did you need to move around your schedule? Bringing in a sense of gratitude and then bringing awareness that we still have people who this is not accessible, right? And then it's also about building a relationship, helping my students to build a relationship with their own body and their own awareness of consciousness as it moves through their body. So then they can start to become aware of where the stories from ego lie within their body, where trauma lies within their body and how that shows up in the world. So for me, class feels more like a tune-up. So then you can take your yoga off the mat and continue doing yoga out in the world, not just going through some physical sequencing and then feeling like you got a rock star workout. I am not that teacher. (laughs)
0: I loved how for you making your classes more accessible was about bringing the eight limbs in more explicitly, because I do think that some yoga teachers leave out yoga philosophy in an attempt to be more accessible. Right. And like you said, this is an individual choice of how to teach and how much philosophy to bring into your class, because I do believe you can embody yoga in the front of the room and, and talk primarily about the physical body, but still embody yoga. Right. So this is, I'm fully in agreement with you that this isn't a prerequisite for holding space in a yoga studio or in a yoga room. But it really kind of hit me how profound that is. If you believe that the eight limbs makes yoga more accessible and then you can bring that to your classes from a sense of integrity and deep understanding of the benefits, then you make your classes something very special.
1: Yeah, you do. And one thing I will say as a black Latina moving through the wellness industry, when I hear my white counterpart teachers, and I may not be in relationship with them, but when I hear them, speaking to the philosophy of yoga and shining that light in terms of the inequities. And yes, this is not a prerequisite saying, okay, now go out and learn how to sequence and incorporate social justice. I embody that. That's my path. That's why, that's why I show up the way that I do. But for someone who is just a yoga teacher, it's really about helping people to examine their own relationship with themselves, because if that, if they can learn that, then that gives them the tools then to be able to sit with the discomfort of all the other big things that we're talking about with regards to systems of oppression and social justice. And so when I think about this relationship that we have with our students, I think it is very important that we remember that the goal really should be about bringing in as much of the eight limbs of yoga into class each and every time and not just the asanas and pranayama. And that's why when we started, what I said was, if we're yoga teachers who really became yoga teachers to teach yoga (laughs) and not what I tend to term as westernized yoga. And I'm not gonna say that this is a fail-safe, sure-proof way to be a studio that's inclusive. But what I will say did make an impact is, I also held yoga classes that were exclusive only two black and brown people. I know for some of us that may, what may come up may be like, wait a minute, but that's like segregation and we're not supposed to be like, we're trying to do the opposite. And that's why I'm coming back to saying, you have to do your work, do the work to understand the systems of oppression that exist. Because if you understood that if there was a group of people that are constantly being excluded, for them to just have a safe space where they can gather together and not have to worry about anything except just breathing, that's actually what builds the bridge for them to get comfortable with the practice to then step into a classroom that is not exclusive to just Black and brown people. So it's nuanced. There's no one way of doing it.
0: One thing that always really helps me when I'm hearing conversations around racial equity in a way that is controversial, I always switch the words and I say, okay, if I were thinking about this in terms of gender, how would, how would I feel? Like, what would my reaction be? Does it make sense for women or female-bodied people to want a separate space from male-bodied people? And as a female-bodied person, it intuitively, it makes sense because of safety.
1: Right.
0: And so then from there, I'm able to transpose it back and say, well, absolutely. It makes sense that BIPOC are categorically less safe and therefore they need extra safety. And one of those ways is giving them a space where the people in the space Have more understanding of their lived
1: experience. Right. There's no one formula to get it all right because all, all studios and teachers are in different places and communities around the world. You really have to look at your proximity to power, your positionality within your community, and where your privilege lies and work from there. So I know some studios who've had to close down because although they were white privileged, you know they were like a sneeze away from poverty line. So neither do I want anyone to feel that my assumption is, is that every single white person and white passing person is just swimming in dough and can afford to do like all these things. But what I will say is, is that all of us are in proximity to some kind of power and privilege and have access. And it's about sharing that power, that privilege, and that access. Uh, Diversifying your yoga teacher training incorporating racial equity training in it, or you don't even have to call it racial. You can say incorporate an equity piece to your training. So there's a lot that we're we're, we're being asked to hold. And a lot of it is, is bringing up a lot of discomfort. And it's also about, are we having these conversations with our staff? because. Let's be honest, some studios may be in a predominantly all white neighborhood and there may be just a speckle of rock and brown people. You're not gonna go to the town over and they, like, so I'm saying be smart, <laughs> but I know that if I go to a yoga studio's website and their languaging transparently states, we are inclusive and this is the steps we take to be inclusive, if your staff is not diversified, and if there is no HR training for that staff about equity, don't invite people of color into your space until you've started to do those kind of basic works. because I promise you that there are staff members that are probably unknowingly walking around with biases that are coming out even and as they're teaching. Either they have a blind spot and they're missing some things, their languaging is landing very, very differently and it happens very easily.
0: You know, I think that sometimes this sounds overwhelming or it sounds scary, but the truth is it's actually very liberating and, and energizing to engage in activity that is in alignment with your values. Right. In this day and age with so many of these conversations happening all around you, if you're not participating in the conversation, but you have beliefs around compassion and around equity and around inclusivity and you're choosing to focus on something else first for whatever reason and and sometimes there are good reasons, right? Sometimes you are in a survival mode and you, you think to yourself for a long period of time, oh, I, I wanna do that. I know I need to do that. I wanna do that. But you're harming yourself the longer you put it off. Yeah. When you engage in the conversations, there is a sense of alignment, an internal alignment that is a big payoff. Because, you know, one of the stories that I had for a long time was okay, it's great to do racial equity work, but it's a big ask. To, to get to like consciously let go of your privilege. And that story has shifted in my head. I don't think it's a big ask anymore. I think it is totally worth it to be in alignment with your values. There is nothing more valuable. You're, no privilege in the world is worth being out of alignment with your values.
1: No, I agree. And that's why when we first started, I said, I landed in a space in my heart where I've chosen to continue to show up for this kind of work. Because for me, it's about relationships. It's about being in relationships with people who are different from me, not just in terms of race, but um, sexual orientation, gender, social economics, so much things. But how much am I missing out if I continue to carve out a life where I only surround myself with what makes me feel comfortable? You and I both know that that even goes against the law of nature we will not survive. The way that we grow as a homo-species as a species is we're constantly being exposed to things that are different from our makeup and we either we adapt and we grow. So that's what prolongs the longevity of the species. And I agree with you in terms of value, which is why for me, I understand that there's a statement that is very controversial and it has been Black Lives Matter because it gets met with, well, all lives matter. And I always say yes. So it's a it's a both and. Yes, black lives matter and all lives matter. However, we're saying black lives matter because they have not mattered in terms of value and worth for centuries. And you know, this is gonna sound really bizarre, babe, but I read something on Facebook the other day where a white male posted, listen, get that bleep out of this country because this country was built on the white culture of males he went on to say yes that is what we wanted that is what we intended we wanted a white dominant culture did i mean and he went down and you know what i read that post and i thought not only am i not in alignment right not only do i not agree but i had mad respect for this gentleman why because he was in alignment with his value system. He really stated, this is what I believe, this is what I want, and if we are not in agreement, I would love it very much if he would leave my country. I will be honest with you, what we don't see a whole lot of is that, that transparency, integrity, really being in alignment with who you really truly are. Instead, we get shown white tears, You know, it's a lot of crying. I feel so bad. But really deep, deep down underneath, you really don't want to give up access and privilege and power. That's difficult, right? That's Mm -hmm. really hard. It's challenging, right? But at the same time, I don't go to yoga and practice gentle yoga 24-7 with a touch of yin, and I never change up my sequencing. My body would be out of balance. I would harm myself because there would be many areas within my skeletal framework that would be underdeveloped. So again, bringing it back to yoga, we get it when it comes to yoga. It's real easy. We simply complicate it when it comes to life because we're avoiding it because we don't want to do the work, but we don't have a choice because we have to be in relationship with one another and in right relationship with one another. And we could go down the rabbit holes with the namajamas and the yamas, but we won't. But it is about our value system. And I know my value system is people. I love people. I don't only love Black people. I love all people. But I am a Black Latina moving through the world. And so if someone wants to be in relationship with me, I will need for you to see my Blackness and to understand what that represents and to also understand all of the history that comes with that. And honor and respect it.
0: It's an opportunity for us as yoga teachers to live our yoga. Yes, it's a major opportunity, and it's a choice to engage in the work or not. Right. But I just can't imagine calling myself a yoga teacher and not being willing. And not do it.
1: <laughs> that exactly, and not do it. And you know, I'm I'm excited. I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I'm the observer with, of this recent um, surge of activity around Black Lives Matter, around racial equity, and I love it. And if I had to say anything to um, anyone, regardless of what side of the fence racially people are, I would simply say, take it a step at a time. Take it a breath at a time. Start exactly where you are. Take your yoga off of your mat. You know what I mean? Stretch a little bit. So start where you feel like you have a little bit of awareness and start to expand conversationally with that. And then start kind of scaling it up a little bit. You know, maybe do something a little challenging. Touch your edge with it. Feel the fear, feel the discomfort and sit with it. See first how long you can sit with it before you even go deeper into it. That's what we do with yoga. It's no different with this. Yoga is life. Yoga is for life. It's not for exercise.
0: <laughs> Amen.
1: I know. I feel like I just had a whole Sunday sermon. <laughs> it's so funny, but I love it. And yes, there, there's things out there to help support people if they're curious. Is an entry point for everyone.
0: And if listeners want to find out more about you or want to hire you to help with their studio or maybe bring you on for a training, how can they find you? You can connect with me in two
1: very easy ways. So the first easy way is Instagram. My Instagram handle is simple. It's the T-H-E underscore guardian underscore Michelle. And Michelle is with one L and an E at the end. And my website, you can probably, we'll probably have to send them this in a written form, but I will say it. The website is Mishagani Kripa, and that is M-I-C-H-A-G-N-I-K-R-I-P-A.com, and it is a hybrid of my first name, which is the female version of Michael, which is one who is like God, and if we are in our Sanskrit, (laughs) just a little bit deeper, some of you may be familiar with and Kripa, which is fire and grace, and so Basically, my website translates to one who's like God, but moves with fire and grace. So that's where they can find me. Beautiful.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your perspective, your wisdom, and your lived experience. And and thanks for being a friend and a teacher.
1: I adore and love you, Majo. And I think that's why I always love any opportunity, whether we're sharing space to get physically on our know, walks or just have our conversations. It never feels like work. And and that's what I love. I love being in relationship with people who do not feel like work because there is, there's work that we're all trying to do out in the world. And I've always appreciated that about you. I've always appreciated your authenticity was the thing that made me feel absolutely brave and safe in your presence. And that has been consistent across the board. So I'm honored that you asked me to come back and I, and I love always learning from you as well. I mean, you are like my go-to teacher. I'm extremely biased. I'm sure people can tell that by now. But I do love my Mado, um, and I'm grateful that you continue to teach us all by bringing in different teachers, different lineages, different lived experiences. So thank you for that. Thank you mm. for this
0: conversation. Mm-hmm. My, my pleasure. I hope that you found that conversation to be as interesting, uplifting and helpful as I did. Ever since the massive uprising with the Black Lives Matter movement in June, I've been getting tons of questions and requests about that topic. Now, obviously, I needed to bring somebody else on and it did take a while to coordinate, but I'm so glad we finally did and I know that we are going to continue this conversation and for anyone listening who has specific questions on this topic, please feel free to reach out to Mado at teachingyoga.net. I would be happy to share whatever I personally know and also send you to other resources. If your question is out of my depth or just better answered by somebody who identifies as BIPOC. It is really wonderful and heartening to see the surge of interest in anti-racism work since June. But I will say that I've noticed that already people have kind of dropped off and moved on. So I want to say that if that is you, if you felt really fired up in June and maybe even July, but haven't thought about it so much in August... Ask yourself what you could do to recommit to this work because it's not something that can be solved in a matter of months. And it really does require us to devote consistent, steady effort, just like any yoga practice. And to any BIPOC who are listening, I want you to know that I am in this for the long haul. This has been a topic that has been very close to my heart for my entire life. And I am not going to get into the details why right now, because that's not what's important. But I do feel that it's important to tell you that I'm here for you and that I'm here for this work. And to all my listeners, I believe with every fiber of my being, that self-care is a huge component for being able to engage in anti-racism work and any type of change work, we have to attend to our own nervous system first. And that is what is going to help us be able to take action in a positive, proactive way and cause less harm. We won't ever be able to walk through the world and cause no harm, but the majority of harm that is caused in the world that I see is caused by people who are not centered not regulated, and are in survival mode for whatever reason and whatever situation. That is the big way that we cause each other harm. So the more that we can attend to our own nervous system first, and then as yoga teachers, one of the big gifts we can give is helping our students learn to do the same, to notice when they're going off balance, and learn tools to come back to a sense of safety where they can engage their higher thinking, their prefrontal cortex, and, and act with more wisdom and more compassion. Now, here's the thing. Even though self-care provides the right circumstances for causing less harm, it doesn't lead there automatically. We have to also engage our capacity for intent and our ability to empathize with others. So even though just teaching self-care is super helpful, it can be of service to the world. I believe that teaching self-care with the explicit message of what are you going to do with this balanced, regulated nervous system? Let's not just use it to be comfortable for yourself. Let's use it to make the world a better place.